0: Making the Plunge Dedication and Leadership, Chapter 2 The Communists make far bigger demands upon their people than the average Christian organization would ever dare to make. As I have already noted, they believe that if you make big demands upon people, you will get a big response. So this is made a deliberate policy on their part. They never make the small demand if they can make the big one. Contrary to what is often believed by those who have never been communists, they do not, at any rate in non-communist countries, normally achieve this by putting a gun, either real or metaphorical, to the member's head. This would not achieve its purpose Dedication and willingness to sacrifice must be developed within a person, then drawn out of them, not forced in. The communists have had to find ways and means of doing this. In the process, they have discovered that it is good psychology to ask for a lot. It is bad psychology and bad politics to ask for too little. This is one of the very many paradoxes which must face anyone who begins to delve into this aspect of communism. Communism, we are told, is the great enemy of the individual. Under communism, in practice, the human personality would be suppressed. Philosophically, this is assuredly true. But in practice, whilst the communist movement is still only as yet on the path to communism, and therefore must work through minorities and use each member to the uttermost. It shows a quiet, exceptional concern for drawing out the potentialities of every individual who comes within its discipline. The unfolding and growth of the personality of the recruit to communism is frequently spectacular, This applies to the most diverse types. I recall a conversation with a judge in Southeast Asia before whom hundreds of captured and surrendered guerrilla fighters and detainees had appeared. He told me that without prompting, he could invariably distinguish between those who were trained Communist Party members and those who were mere sympathizers. Of many of the intellectuals who came to communism in the West in the 1930s, it might be said that their association with the communist movement led to a flowering of their talents. The finest period of many of the artists, writers, and poets who came to communism, even though they subsequently left it, was the one when they were communists. This was partly because their work became more meaningful to them because They now had a cause for which to live and to which they could harness their talents. But it was also the case that communism demanded everything of them. It asked for the whole man and got it. The paradox, I repeat, is that the communists show a faith in their people, which Christians, who are supposed to be the great defenders of the human person, are too often not prepared to show. They ask for a lot, and they get the big response they expect. At the same time, they are hard-headed enough to know that it is not sufficient to have an organization of enthusiasts. Sacrifice, dedication, and zeal are not enough in themselves. These are important, but they are only a starting point. They are what helps us to make a man persist as an active member, And they ensure that when he is made a leader he continues to lead for the cause and not for himself to achieve this you must create the initial willingness to sacrifice but you must follow through with preparation training and instruction as well so the communists set about trying to use as effectively as they can the human material which is at their disposal every communist a leader every factory a fortress is one of their slogans but it is more than a slogan it is an aim and one which they set out very determinedly to achieve the meaning behind the slogan is this each party member must be so trained that no matter where he may find himself he will be qualified to come forward and lead and when you have sufficient such members together in a given factory or within some particular organization They can make this a fortress for communism in other words their position can be made well nigh unassailable that this is not just a slogan is something known to many a factory management i could name many in britain where the communists on the basis of genuine leadership offered at the shop floor level have gained control of the shop stewards committee and before long have come nearer to running the factory More often than not, when their hold has been broken, it has not been the result of an alternative and superior leadership being offered to the workers in the factory, but by the management being able to use some particular situation in order to get rid of the communists by firing them. From the management's point of view, no other alternative was left to them. There has been many a strike involving thousands of non-communist workers against the victimization of their communist shop stewards. It is easy enough, in such circumstances, for pressmen to explain such a situation in terms of intimidation of the rank and file by the communist leadership, or the alleged sheep-like quality of the ordinary worker. Those in industry generally know better than this. They know that if a man is going to become a workshop leader and maintain that position, it must be on the basis of proven qualities of leadership, an ability to show results, and a willingness to risk victimization or in plain english to be so dedicated as to be prepared to lose his means of livelihood be blacklisted by every employer in his industry and see his own standard of life and that of his loved ones go down and down as a consequence this then is the communist approach to the question of leadership You must believe in the human material you have at your disposal. You must not be afraid to make a big demand upon it, and you must skillfully and intelligently call for sacrifices, following up each such call with another. To zeal and enthusiasm must be added understanding. In other words, the communists recognize that if you are going to be equipped to lead in the modern world, you must learn as much as possible about the things in which you believe, and you must Use what you learn, but none of these things just happen. The average ordinary adult, insofar as there is such a person, is not easily enthused, does not automatically and without prompting submerge himself in a cause, sacrificing his interests to a greater one. And he does not willingly go back to school. To get all this from him, he must be inspired. And that inspiration, the communists recognize, must come from outside. The onus is on them to create it. For this reason, what I shall call the inspirational element of the communist approach is always very strong. This has been so from the start. Frederick Engels, Karl Marx's friend and collaborator, finished the book Ludwig Farbach with the words, The philosophers have only tried to explain the world. The job, however, is to change it. That slogan of change the world has proved to be one of the most dynamic of the past 120 years. Many years after Frederick Engels was dead and buried, communist parties throughout the world made it their slogan. Some of the most sensitive men of their generation associated themselves with the communist party within the popular fronts of the days of the Great Depression of the 1930s, in the belief that by doing so, they were helping to change the world, a world which at that moment appeared to offer nothing but unemployment, poverty, fascism, and war. Individual members of the Communist Party are brought to believe that together, they and others like them can change the world in their lifetime they are convinced that this is not just a dream, for they have techniques and a Marxist science of change-making, which provide them with the means by which this can be done. When you have succeeded in making men believe that change is necessary and possible, and that they are the ones who can achieve it, when you have convinced them that they and the small minority of whom they are a part can transform the world in their own lifetime. You have achieved something very considerable indeed. You have put into their lives a dynamic force so powerful that you can bring them to do what would otherwise be impossible. The dull and humdrum becomes meaningful life becomes purpose-driven and immensely more worth living. Marx concluded his communist manifesto with the words, You have a world to win. Here is a tremendous aim. In material terms, one could hardly aim higher. The belief that the world is there to be won and that communists can win it is firmly implanted in the mind of every communist cadre. It is with him all the time. He has a clear goal. He knows what he is looking for, and it is something which he believes is capable of realization. Moreover, a hundred times every day he is reminded that there is not only room for change, but an urgent need for it too. Before he has finished reading his morning paper, no matter whether it be capitalist or communist, he has been given a dozen such reminders in reports of wars and rumors of wars and in featured articles and analyses which provide the evidence of how far short man and his society fall, of what they might be. To the Christian, there is an element of sheer tragedy in this, that people with such potentialities should give so much energy, zeal, and dedication to such a cause whilst those who believe that they have the best cause on earth often give so little to it, and their leaders are so often afraid to ask for more than the merest minimum. The Christians may say that the communists have the worst creed on earth, but what they have to appreciate is that the communists shout it from the housetops, whilst too often those who believe they have the best speak with a muted voice when they speak at all in a relatively short period of man's history the communists have made an enormous impact upon its course our social thinking our working conditions our political and military programs are different from what they might have been because this minority exists one-third of mankind already live under their rule The rest live differently because the communists are there. To this limited extent they have already changed the world, but they are still far from attaining their goal, and this is a dynamic thought which drives them on. If anyone is going to change the world for the better, it may be argued it ought to be the Christians, not the communists. For myself i would say that if we started applying our christianity to the society in which we live then it would be we indeed who would change the world christians too have a world to change and a world to win had the early christians gone in for slogans these might well have been theirs they might be ours too there is no reason at all why they should be the monopoly of the communists from the time that I joined the Communist Party practically to the time when, twenty years later, I left it, I was conscious of the fact that our members firmly believed that, relatively few though they might be, they had a world to win, and were going to win it. I came to the Catholic Church prepared for most of what I found, and it would be the sheerest hypocrisy to pretend that I either expected or found everything to be good. But one thing I had not bargained for was the many people I met who told me that the Catholic community in Britain suffered from something they described as a minority complex. I had not expected this because I was coming from an organization which at that time had some 45,000 members to one which was numerically 100 times as strong and which represented some 10% of the British population. Even in the days when we communists could only boast some 15,000 members, we believed that when the right circumstances came, as they must, we would make Britain communist and we would do so with the support of the mass of the people. Whatever else we may have suffered from, we had no minority complex coming straight as it were from one world to another it astounded me that there should be people with such numbers at their disposal and with the truth on their side going around weighed down by the thought that they were a small beleaguered minority carrying on some sort of an impossible fight against a big majority the very concept was wrong psychologically it was calamitous and there was nothing in the facts, so far as I could see, to warrant such an approach. I did not come to Catholicism expecting the caliber of the human material to be high. We communists had believed that the Catholic community were the most ignorant, superstitious, reactionary, and obscurantist section of the British population. In practice, I found that the human material was similar to, sometimes even identical with, that which I had known within the communist movement, which is to say that it was pretty much a cross-section of the British people. Since this was so, and remembering the use we made of our people, it seemed almost incredible that a group consisting of nearly five million members distributed throughout the entire community existed in every walk of life and every stratum of society, should even begin to think in terms of a minority complex. Most certainly the communists do not think in such terms, nor need they do so, so long as they continue to make it their aim that every hardcore member should be a leader. When, at the very depth of the Great Depression, when Hitler was so clearly setting out to make war and to impose his new order upon the world when the war clouds were gathering right round the globe we were not depressed by the thought that our membership totaled only some fifteen thousand indeed we were almost exhilarated by the thought that the very evils of the time operated in our favor that a situation which could be to our advantage must surely mature and that we had at our disposal 15,000 trained leaders who were operating in almost every walk of British life. We knew that we were effectively spreading our ideas far and wide. True, the course of events proved not to operate on our sectors of the world front as favorably as we had expected. But at that moment, there was plenty of evidence to show that the ripples we created went very wide indeed into our national life each time we threw a pebble into the pool. I am now far enough away from my communist days and know sufficient about the problems of the Catholic community to recognize that measuring and comparing the communist and Catholic potentialities is not just a matter of simple arithmetic. But I still do not believe, and I cannot see how anyone else can believe, that either the Catholic community or Christians generally make the maximum impact upon our thought and times of which we are capable if as is so often said the battle of our time is in the final analysis a battle for hearts and minds and souls then this is of immense importance maybe of decisive importance in all humanity we must admit At this level, the Communists have achieved far more than the Christians since the first Communist Party was formed. No useful purpose is served by Christians pretending that the Communists' successes can all be explained in terms of trickery. Much of the Communists' success has come from forms of activity and an approach to people which might be easily, and with more justification, be used by Christians. To understand the communist achievement, one must understand the sheer mechanics, as it were, by which people, quite ordinary people with only average potentialities, can be brought to a state of mind where they are anxious to serve their cause by becoming leaders, are made into leaders, and are enabled to lead effectively. As I describe the method which the communists use, Christians and others may care to relate it to their own work. The majority of people who join the Communist Party do so knowing very little about communism. This is as true of the intellectuals as of the workers. The potential recruit sees the party in action. Frequently, someone he knows is associated with it, or someone with whom he works comes to his attention because of some form of activity in which he is engaged. It may be that signatures are being collected for a peace petition or a communist-led campaign is being conducted to improve working conditions or to obtain higher wages. Or he may see the party campaigning to prevent a widow from being evicted from her slum dwelling. The important point is that he sees the party in action and he admires what it is doing. From this he goes on to be more conscious of its other campaigns and increasingly to feel that these correspond to real needs. They are relevant where so much that is being done by other bodies seems to be quite irrelevant to the titanic needs and ills of our time. In other words, it is the party in action, an active campaigning body, and the people who make up the party who normally provide the spur to the recruits' first approach to communism. To spell it out, recruits to communism are usually attracted by the dedicated people who are communists, and by the party in action. And this action is appealing because it appears to be concerned with real problems. From this he goes on to be more conscious of its other campaigns and increasingly to feel that these correspond to real needs. They are relevant where so much that is being done by other bodies seems to be quite irrelevant to the titanic needs and ills of our time in other words it is the party in action an active campaigning body and the people who make up the party who normally provide the spur to the recruits first approach to communism to spell it out Recruits to communism are usually attracted by the dedicated people who are communists and by the party in action, and this action is appealing because it appears to be concerned with real problems. The party operates at a level which is meaningful to the potential recruit. It comes to him, as it were. He does not have to seek out the party. Pope Paul VI, when he was still Archbishop montini of milan once said that in the past it was necessary only for the church to ring its bells for the people to come to it now however it is necessary for the church to take the bell to the people that is something communists long ago learned the irony of it is that it is still they not the christians who appear to come in the words of the song with the hammer of justice the bell of freedom and a song about love between my brothers and my sisters all over this land the strongest impact made upon the mind of the recruit by the first communist with whom he associates is likely to be of dedication the first impression made by the party comes from its activity and the apparent relevance of that activity to our times this being so the man who decides to become a communist does so in the expectation that he too will have to be dedicated and active as well this he knows from the start is what is involved in being a communist he comes to the party therefore prepared to have to give of himself to an exceptional extent if this is the way he comes to communism then he knows that joining the party is a turning point in his life it is quite unlike what is involved in joining any other organization with which he is familiar. His awareness of this, particularly if he is of a Christian background, is made stronger by the fact that almost inevitably he will have been making comparisons between communists and the communist party on the one hand and Christians and the church on the other. And the comparison he has made will be unfavorable to Christianity. This makes him all the more predisposed to turn to communism and to throw himself into it body mind and soul if he has grown up in christian circles he will know that christianity like communism demands the whole man and that christians were intended and are expected to change the world that they too should be active that membership of a church is not like membership of a club that in theory at least the christian should be relating to his christianity to his whole life and to the world about him all the time everywhere yet in practice although christianity has taught him the total dedication has taught him that total dedication is something to be admired and something to which one should aspire in one's own life. A communist may be the first totally dedicated person he has met, or, if that is putting it too harshly, the communist may be the first dedicated person he has met who is not wrapped up in his own salvation, but is devoting himself to the transformation of society and to changing the world. I am not here discussing whether this impression of the communist is justified in terms of the degree of human happiness or unhappiness which has resulted from the changes which communism has made. I am concerned with the impact made by individual communists and by the party upon the man who is considering whether he should himself become a communist for this is a key to an understanding of why it is possible for communists to demand so much of their members and to get it the fact is that even as the recruit makes his decision to come into the party he prepares himself psychologically he predisposes himself for big demands and a big response if he was not prepared for this he would not join the party The process is so similar in so many cases that time after time, ex-communists have used almost identical words to describe to me the process through which they went. It goes like this. For years, I stood on the sidelines watching the fight, admiring the party members for all they were doing, but without being directly involved. Then some crisis in national or international affairs blew up and I came to believe that feeling as I did I had no right at such a time to be just a spectator. When others were giving so much I felt compelled to come in and join them in the struggle. I would have been betraying myself had I not done so. This image which the party has created of totally dedicated people collectively giving all they have to their cause is such that a certain mystique has grown up quite naturally around the act of joining the party. One can think of the near reverence in which sympathizers amongst intellectuals in the Popular Front days held those who were actually card-holding party members. And I can recall dozens who for years had been reading Left Book Club Choices, and meeting for discussion, who at some point or another came to me and said, I have just got to join the party. I have had no excuse apart from my own desire for a quiet life and my own laziness and selfishness for not joining for a long time now. I have known that that is where I really belong. But now, in this situation, I could not live with myself if I did not join, I am ready now to make the sacrifices which will be demanded of me. This is not the picture which the non-Christian or the man who associates with Christians, whilst not being one of them, generally has of what is meant to be a Christian today. Unless or until there are Christians who are both dedicated and meaningfully active in sufficient numbers to create a similar image of Christianity, The communists are bound to find it easier than the Christians to get the big response. To be more specific, a man may decide to become a Catholic without its ever occurring to him that the pattern of life will be transformed, that the whole of every waking day will be different because of the set of beliefs he has accepted. It is possible for the would-be convert to go to a priest for a lengthy period of instruction without once being made to feel that he is about to become part of a group of people who are quite exceptional in their dedication indeed to make him feel this might well only lead to disillusionment because it would be against the truth it is equally possible for him to receive the whole of the instruction which is required before baptism without hearing a word about the church's social teaching Or his personal responsibility for helping to transform society by taking Christian values, for him probably a new scale of values, Into his place of work, into his trade union or professional organization, into his politics, and into his personal relations with others. He will certainly finish his instruction knowing that he must attend Mass on Saturday, abstain from meat on Friday, and say his prayers. But his instruction will, in most cases, end without its ever having occurred to him, because it has never been put to him, and also because he has never seen it borne out in practice. That he is now one of the people who were originally charged with the job of changing the world. In circumstances like these, the number of non-dedicated, non-active members continues to grow. Their minimal Christianity, their lack of dedication and absence of activity becomes the norm. It is a vicious circle. The norm in the Communist Party is quite different. The consequence is that the recruits come expecting right from the start that a lot is going to be asked of them. This is tremendously important. It means that the recruit gets off on the right foot. The party has only to underpin and maintain a concept which is already in the mind of the new member. The new member is likely to find that this concept of the party is justified. In Indonesia, for example he will see top leaders of this, the largest party of the non-communist world, living simple lives free of ostentation and luxury. In the United States, he will find leaders who, against a background of public hatred and contempt, spend much of their time going in and out of jail with no possible expectation of an early change in the situation, no immediate prospect of any compensation coming in the shape of power or privilege. I have had former communists say to me even though i now see the evil in communism i still believe that when i joined the communist party it was the biggest and best decision i made in my life it was the most unselfish thing i ever did i understand what they mean by this no one joining the communist party could suppose that life was going to be the same as before the recruits have seen the communists in action They have come to know them as people and have been attracted to them because they are communists all the time, being 100 percenters in a world of 50 percenters. The image of the communists and the Communist Party may hold back the potential recruit for some time, but if and when he makes the decision to come in, he knows that this is a turning point. He believes that he is a better man for coming in, less than a man if he still remains outside. The absence of any comparable Christian image outside the religious orders clearly creates problems for those who want to see Christians equally dedicated. The answer lies with the Christians. And I am joined in the studio today with special guest Kate and Dan. Hello. Guests. How are you doing, Dan? I'm well. Oh, that's, that's wooden. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for that, Dan.
1: Yeah, I, I try. Hey, Jared, I'm glad to be here. So you can edit that in later. Just Dan.
0: Taking the plunge. The communists make far bigger demands upon their people than the average Christian organization would ever dare to make. Dedication and willingness to sacrifice must be developed within a person, then drawn out of them, not forced in. I feel strongly about this, actually. If you, if you look at how Christianity has behaved, they don't believe in a minority. And there's a lot in this chapter. Almost, almost every sentence in this chapter is offensive to somebody who considers themselves a theologian in Yakima. And, I mean, I can find somebody. It's not hard either. And one of them is the big demands. The attitude is you need to make this as consumable as possible and not as demanding as possible because the driving paradigm is still a populist movement instead of an active minority. They deny the existence of the 80-20 and embrace it at the same time. It's a very confusing thing that churches tend to do. They pretend that 80% of the work isn't done by 20% of the people. They pretend that, oh, everybody out in, in, in the audience and then they make the the product as, as as comfortable as possible, as vanilla as they can. And if anybody comes along and challenges that, they are expelled in my, oh, I say anyone, I'm speaking in gross generalities here, but there is a tendency to cultivate that. Nicer than Jesus stuff, uh, approachable stuff. Oh, ah, shucks, golly gee, we just want you here. We don't care if you're invo- like if you sacrifice anything. You know, that kind of attitude. So, how does that strike you?
2: It goes against, I believe, a great part of the human spirit because the human spirit loves a challenge. Ultimately, even if we've grown up lazy. Or whatever. There's something deep down inside of us that wants a challenge that doesn't want to just have little bits and pieces of something to do. So for this easy, consumable approach to be the popular one it doesn't really mesh with what people actually want.
0: Well, what do you want?
2: Something that's exciting.
0: And how do you qualify that?
2: Something that actually makes a difference and actually takes something... That gets me out of my comfort zone. Okay.
1: Kate, do you mind if I push back against your comment just a little bit?
2: I do, but do it anyway. (laughs)
1: Uh, I don't disagree with anything by and large in what you said, but there was one, uh, one area that I'd like to correct on, which is what Jared said, what do you want? And you said you want to make a big contribution to the world and you want that contribution to mean something. And you want to be challenged, you want to be held accountable, you want to be in leadership, you want to to stick it through when things get tough. But what Jared said indicates to us, and this could be wrong, but what Jared said indicates that 80% of the population does not want that. If we gave you something that you wanted, we'd be alienating 80% of our audience. Is that good marketing?
2: It's effective if you're wanting to get things done.
1: (laughs) I don't disagree with you in the slightest, So, Jared, when you said that churches hate the idea of the minority, what do you mean so that we don't get accused of white supremacy?
0: Hmm. (laughs) What I mean to say is that there there is an understanding in evangelicalism that the game is to catch the multitudes and not to make the disciples, which is a bit of a contradiction to what Jesus was doing during his lifetime at times he would uh, deliberately pull the apostles aside or the, the disciples aside and say, now I'm going to explain something to you. I was deliberately cryptic so that they wouldn't know what I was talking about. And that is not what goes on. And I, now I I think that that was a time and a place for that. I think that we need to be explicit. We need to be clear from the pulpits. But it is also true that pandering to the lowest common denominator has become a norm. And I reject that. It, it, in a way, the churches did it first. The churches were the first ones to hand out participation trophies. They were cutting edge on that. And what I find to be true is, as we take a look at this, there is an assumption that you can ask big things of people and you will get big responses from people. And he doesn't necessarily spend a ton of time talking about how many flakes you'll lose along the way. Because that's not relevant. That's not important. And the fact that he didn't even treat with that as important is very telling to me. And, and it is very abrasive to a lot of the evangelizing kind of training that I've received as a Christian And for me to let go of that was hard because I I definitely found this to be the case that there is something in me that desperately wants broken and hurting backwards people to be ministered to. And yet it seems as if I'm just enabling them so often.
1: I don't disagree Based on reading that I've done, and Kate, I mean, you can sort of identify with this, um, there is a large section of the population that is longing for big asks. They're looking to make a big commitment. There are a number of books that I could cite. Two that come to mind are Why Men Hate Going to Church by David Murrow and Fathered by God by John Eldridge. And in both of these cases, people who are pressing into the kingdom of God are looking for their life to mean something, and one of the ways that humans find meaning is through sacrifice. This has been established for millennia. You value what you pay for. And that's a problem that I have with common evangelicalism. Not much is asked.
0: And then it it seems to emerge in evangelicalism that we aren't attracting the romantics. We're attracting people that are outraged that I would make that request. Some of that outrage is actually deliberately courted, it seems like.
1: As yeah, yeah, I will agree that you quite often court that outrage.
0: Yeah. So they'll say, they'll say to me, Jared, how dare you make that request of me? Don't you know that I'm going to school? To college, right? Don't you know that I am trying to buy a house? Don't you know that I have kids? Don't you know that my mother is ill? And, you know, it's like all of these reasons. All of these reasons. It's so much so that early on, I'm like, when I read Dedication and Leadership and I came back to the small town I was in, I couldn't tell why no one would make sacrifices. I thought maybe they just didn't like me personally and I had to earn my, I kept being told that I need to earn my stripes. But earning my stripes equaled conforming to a certain standard of leadership, which would never make those kinds of demands.
1: There's a part in this section which reminded me of how excellent and how hard this book was to read the first time, not just because of the slightly dry nature of the book, what he said was that in order to ask for big things, you have to inspire the people that you ask. You have to capture their imagination because what you're asking for, the, you're, what you're asking them to do, is devote their entire existence towards this goal. And so, one of the things that I wrote down was that the communists view it as their duty to change the world. They view it as this is what they were told to do. This is what they have to do, and they believe that they can do it. So. Both of those two things, if you want to apply those to Christianity, are true. Go, therefore, into all the world and make disciples of every nation, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But I can recall having conversations with you, Jared, in Denny's, and you were saying that it is the job of the church to change the world. And I said famously, and I bring this up a lot, why spend any time polishing the brass on a sinking ship? And then you you laughed, and you closed your eyes, and you nodded your head. And then you're like, okay, paradise restored. <laughs> <laughs> so the first gap in my understanding was that it's the Christian's job to change the world. The second gap in my understanding was understanding that we can. But the communists understand this very, very well. And what they do is they capture the imagination of the people that inv- that are involved. They give them a compelling vision for the world, for what they could do just by themselves, and that's something that I don't see in Christianity a lot, and partially because there's such an emphasis in corporate, uh, partially because people that uh, don't go to church say, oh, you know, I'm just doing this all by myself, which is another wrong, but I can understand how we got here. There's a very strong emphasis on all together as one, and the problem is if you're playing to the lowest common denominator, then you're just dragging everyone down as one. Yeah. You're not inspiring. You're not bringing them with you. Mm-hmm. You're just making sure you don't lose any. Mm-hmm. So that was the first thing that I noted, and that's why the essay on the moral imagination by Charles Colson is so valuable, because he was able to cast an incredibly beautiful vision, and he hearkens back to Winston Churchill. Winston Churchill was able to rally Britain back to war when they had committed themselves to pacifism at all costs, peace at all costs, and he was able to inspire them to actually fight on the beaches and in the streets and and go down swinging. That is something that is lost in the church, which is hard to do because you actually have to be really, really confident to capture the romance, to capture the romantics. But if you just... Play along. If you just go for the majority, you can kind of phone it in. You can just be nice.
0: Let's talk about uh, puppy dog posts or something. <laughs> now, Kate. Here, here's uh, here here's a question for you. What was a part of the book that you liked?
2: I liked this, and I didn't like it. But this is the part that stuck out the most. Is where he's talking about how. Well, the Christians should be the ones who are, you know, rousing everybody and taking over the world, but they're not, and it's a tragedy. And I was listening to that, and it was making me sad, but it was memorable and it was convicting.
1: <laughs> you like being convicted? That's healthy. <laughs> Sometimes. Yeah. Something that I liked was the unintentional irony. There's there's a law in nature called Price's Law, and it mm. actually encapsulates mathematically what the twenty to eighty ratio actually means and you can actually break it down even more than 20 to 80 because within that 20 percent it's gradiated quite a bit differently so that five percent of the hundred percent are the ones who are doing the major big thing they're the ones who are who are coming out with uh, the theory of relativity they're coming out with uh mozart with beethoven's fifth they're the they're the the ultra um, ultra creators and what's fascinating about the prices is that it, it encapsulates all of human activity, from entrepreneurship to artistry, like painting. Uh, anyway, so what I what I think is really funny is that the communists understood that five percent, that that super powerful five percent, is encapsulated in the twenty. But the churches have embraced a sort of Marxist a Marxism that is an egalitarian. Everyone is equal in the eyes of God, which they are. All men were created equal, and are imbued with certain inalienable rights, but that's neither here nor there. The, the, the point that I'm making is they completely forget the parable of the talents, that there are some who were given ten talents, mm-hmm. and there are some who are only given two. And we really like to say, well, the talents can be anything. The talents doesn't have to be talent. The talent can be time. The talent can be devotion. Sure, but unfortunately, the people who have the most time and talent and money and devotion... Are people have the ten talents?
2: <laughs> <laughs> yes.
0: And here's Jared desperately trying not to bury it.
1: Yeah. And and so you have these people who say, "Well, I can't follow you. I, I you know, I, I can't do this. I can't sacrifice. I'm, I'm buying a house. I'm getting married. You know, I'm, I'm doing this. I'm like, sure, sure, sure. But you have a lot of talents, and the, they appear to be going into the ground. And so my point is that the Marxists understood the minority, and they worked through them. And the Christians who should be completely against Marxism were like, "Hey, everybody's fine. Everybody's cool."
0: So the truth that hurts me the most and convicts me the most is the truth that in America, all of us have a shot, and that this is the big opportunity that America offers. Is maybe we're not going to be ten telling people, but how much of the creating globally is happening? In the U.S. Seems like a lot. I watched a uh, graph that was changing as numbers were added to it. And it was illustrating Nobel Peace Prize winners by nation. And it was, you know, France and Poland and the United Kingdom and Japan. and, and, And the U.S. was down. And then it turned into the U.S., And the U.S. was winning just by multiples. And everyone else was kind of getting one or two here and there. And it was profound to watch that happen because the U.S. Yeah, the U.S. is currently, our federal government is corrupt. But that doesn't mean that the creative potential seems to be seeded. Here in the states, which is profound to me, um, uh, we are dominant. It's it's a fact. The United States is dominant, and it really came really came home to me not because of my experience when I when I did travel, because I didn't travel extensively enough, but when Sky came back and said they do, they don't watch their own news, they watch CNN to see what's happening in America, they watch American movies. They don't watch their own movies. You know, that kind of stuff. And when I was in London, it was true. Like, I looked around, I was a bunch of American movies and things. But, but you know, like, their plays, they have their own plays, and everybody has their own culture. It's, it's I, I love, especially the United Kingdom, I'm in love with, with the United Kingdom's history and their culture. But America, in particular, seems to have the capacity, for whatever reason, and I don't care to analyze it, We have the capacity to switch into that if we choose to. And if that's true, then Jared needs to not be the guy who is too busy with his kids, too busy with his house, too busy with his uh, sick mother, too busy with his et cetera, et cetera, to create. And maybe I'm not going to create the Mona Lisa. It seems unlikely. It doesn't seem very hard. I also can create something. and You know, this podcast is a good example of this. It's like, it ain't much, but it's something. You know, I can create something. I want to be the best I can be at it, given my limitations currently. But I am delighted at what we're able to do, and what we're able to make, because no one else is making this right now. And I believe there is a need, and I'll go into that later. But right now, something that really jumped out at me was this dedication and leadership book is convicting me about getting things done. And I needed to hear this right now. Cause I, I was, I was discouraged. You know, I had, I had very well laid plans and I cast my dice said, okay, I'm going to let God. Now I've done, I planted, I sowed, I fertilized, and now I'm going to wait to see if he sends rain. And he said, a nice dry wind storm. And so that's where I'm at. And, I'm discouraged a lot. I tell my wife sometimes in the morning, I'm on struggle bus today. Uh, here we go. And one of the things that have come up is is the fluctuations in, in my income, which have been lean. I've had a very lean um, household income. God has always provided. He has always provided, miraculously. And some things are extravagantly weird. I have a bunch of port. <laughs> Uh, you know stuff like that but
1: you should tell your friends that you really really love and enjoy mortgage payments mortgage payments
0: (laughs) (laughs) so so one of the things that I found to be true is uh, as we've engaged culture uh, around dedication and leadership I have continually not 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 everyone else that I've worked with but me personally I'm going to bring this up a lot during this book. I have continually caught myself trying to spiritualize it, trying to Christianize it instead of just taking it as it is and trying to implement it the way he told me to. And sometimes he didn't tell me exactly how to do it. He just said, this is what the communists did and it works. And he was like, and there's a bunch of crap because communists are crappy, you know, But he's also saying, and the Christians just don't ask big things. Like their slogans. I'm I'm wrestling through this myself. What are our slogans? Someone on my street has six or six signs. And they have a a Joe Biden sign. And they have a, a Black Lives Matter sign. Black Lives Matter is a slogan. And then they have two signs or three signs. And they say things like, "Love matters at this house."
1: Love is love.
0: Love is love. Oh, and I've seen those. Yeah. No human is illegal. No human is illegal. And
2: all the different colors, right?
0: And yeah.
1: uh, science is real. Science
0: is is not fake or, or whatever. Yeah. So all these slogans, I actually don't know all of them, but they all they're all lies, really. But they are all ultimately slogans, and and they have an entire emotion that punches.
1: I mean, I, I completely disagree. Every single one of them is true. Black lives matter. Love is love. Hmm. No human is illegal. All of that's true.
0: They've redefined. <laughs> they've redefined.
2: Twisted.
1: And yeah. And twisted it. Yeah.
0: Yeah, exactly. So black lives matter means. Black lives matter most. More. Yeah, they just leave out a few things.
1: Love is love, but that ain't love. Yeah.
0: Perversion is love is what they're really saying.
1: Science is real. It is yes.
0: Except when it's inconvenient, which is how they should finish it.
1: <laughs> no, it's always real.
0: No, they they say it's not real science if it's
1: inconvenient science. I don't know about any of all that.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, it, the 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 thing that that came to, that really jumped out as I'm reading it through this time was the the slogan, the importance uh-huh, of slogans. Yeah. Because some people have said to me, Why don't we have slogans? We don't really have slogans. We have reactionary slogans. All lives matter. You only came up with that because they said Black Lives Matter.
1: Yeah. It's not yours.
0: But yeah, you, you you're you're only able to retread their slogans. That is not creative. That is not that's not taking the initiative. I love this one by the communist. Every communist a leader, every factory a fortress. Mm-hmm could you imagine if the Christians had the gonads to every Christian say, a
1: preacher every Christian a pastor
0: <laughs> thank you dad that would be terrible <laughs> what if we said every Christian a leader every school a fortress mm. uh,
1: again it's not ours we're just copying and pasting with the comments yeah, we,
0: we could do that yeah <laughs> but it's better but again the com, the, this one's out of out of vogue. This mm-hmm. one's gone. Nobody knows what it means. No, like, like if we're going to create our own slogans, what does that look like? So one of the things that I find myself uh, running up against is in public addresses where I'm speaking to Christian groups, usually when I get up to talk, especially if I've never talked before, the read right now, in the, you know, this is 2021, is Fear. Fear of the culture of where America is going of the trajectory and an overall sense of despairing hopelessness and frustration
1: and defeatism.
0: So I'll get up and I'll say we could win. Stop giving up. You guys have been talking like this since the 80s. You know, I'll say those kind of things and then I'll say. Truth. Truth people want the truth and i'll say the truth is like a massage it hurts and feels good and i said i only know two or three people who don't like it even lost people are looking for some truth they want it even in their twisted souls some of them are looking for the truth and that's why you can you need to have hope that yes you have brainwashed individuals who love the anonymity of social media but there's a lot of human beings that are across the street or down the road or working shoulder to shoulder with you at, at wherever your place of employment is. They're looking for the truth. You got to have the courage to risk your reputation, risk your job, risk you know the whole cancel culture thing that's going on right now. You have to have the courage to risk that. And if you don't have the courage to risk that, you don't deserve the freedom you've been enjoying all this time. You never deserved it because you were a coward. And when I say that, people are like, well, I'm not a coward. Right? And then they say, then I must, and they start thinking of themselves a little bit differently. And, you know, this was straight out of dedication and leadership for me. And it was this chapter where he says the managers, the, you know, the employees on the shop floor level that were getting fired because there was, because they were taking over. In plain English, to be so dedicated as to be prepared to lose his means of livelihood, be blacklisted by every employer in his industry, and see his own standard of life, and this is key, and to see his own standard of life and that of his loved ones go down and down as a consequence of his dedication to the truth. Christian's... And, you know, if if the communists are committed enough to die on that hill and the Christians are not, we're in trouble. But it's also true that one man can step forward and completely change the trajectory of history. Mm -hmm. That is what Churchill literally did. That's why he is the towering hero of his generation. And what I find to be true of of the history I've read, time and time and time again, these men will step forward and change the trajectory of history. And whether that leader be Abraham Lincoln or Churchill or Jesus who is the Christ, like we have the capacity to engage on that level. But we have to start by believing we can. And I love this chapter for that reason. Like, he's tapping into this idea that life becomes
1: purposeful
0: and immensely more worth living when you have dedication in your life.
1: In dedication and leadership, the thing that caused the new converts to buy into communism and sacrifice and become dedicated to it was seeing them working on tangible needs on making sure that people were fed on casting down injustice on if you want to use a a vernacular term it's social justice so the communists were working on bringing social justice now of course they can't because they don't have any relationship with the creator of justice but my point is, when you stand up in front of a church and you read that they are afraid, the first step is for them to be convinced, for us to be convinced that we can win. The second thing that I need to do is, okay, here is an actual injustice that can be remedied in less than two months, a timely fashion, something yeah. where it's not a 10-year goal.
0: And I think that time frame that you just picked is, is imperative, so if you go more, in my opinion, and in my experience, if you go more than six months, you are taking a serious risk.
1: And this is something that Douglas Hyde talks about, that a sacrifice is required, and it's a content, like it's followed by another, followed by another, followed by another. And this is a short-term measurable goals to where people can say, I sat out for the, for the last fight, but now I, I wouldn't be much of a man if I sat out now when this is on the line, when this is what's going down. The communists never stopped moving. Yep. There was always the next battle to fight. And this yep. was a twofold reason. One, they were actually trying to make the world communist. Yep. So that was their stated goal, which they were working towards. Two, they understood that when people saw the battles, they joined. And opposition against them was helpful to them. It wasn't a roadblock. It was, okay, good, like, great. Now they're going to see this, this come down to it. If no one opposes us, then... Well, then I guess we win, but it, it wouldn't be as good.
0: So in dedication and leadership, I'm going to read a little bit here. If anyone is going to change the world for the better, it may be argued, it ought to be the Christians, not the communists. For myself, I would say that if we started applying our Christianity to the society in which we live, then it would be we, indeed, who would change the world. Christians, too, have a world to change and a world to win.
1: Christians have a world to change and a world to win.
0: There is no reason at all why they should be the monopoly of the communists. Slogans, I mean.
1: This idea was fleshed out for me in reading Why Men Hate Going to Church, and I want to contrast that with the communist model really quick because why men hate going to church is that we sacrifice battles with meaningful results for commitments with no end, with no goal, with no metrics. With churches, with any sort of commitment that they ask, it doesn't have any particular goal that it's working towards. It's maintenance. And I I mean, I'm painting with a very, very broad brush, and the exceptions are women's ministry and children's ministry, but all other ministries, or 80% of all other ministries that churches are involved in, are maintenance, keeping things going, keeping things running. And sometimes, if they're more more aware, they say, "Well, can you commit to doing this for two, uh, for a year or two? And the ones that are very not aware will just say, "Hey, will you be a part of this ministry?" And then you just are until you get burned out and you and you stop <laughs> because there is no goal, there is no end point. And why I men hate going to church states that this is killing to a man, killing to the soul of a man. And the communists understood that you have a campaign, you know, following the campaign, you have a debrief and then you have a rest and celebration and then you pick it back up, which is how people function.
0: Yep. And I'm going to shift gears really hard here. Coming straight, as it were, from the communist world to the Catholic world, it astounded me that there should be people with such numbers at their disposal. Christians make up a staggeringly high percentage of the population, and with the truth on their side, going around weighed down by the thought that they were a small beleaguered minority carrying on some sort of an impossible fight against a big majority. The very concept was wrong. Psychologically, it was calamitous, and there was nothing in the facts, as far as I could see, to warrant such an approach. Now, this comes from the pulpit, and it is one of the most insidious heresies that I've ever come across. They deny the power of the Holy Spirit. It is very frustrating and disgusting to me when I hear it. And and here's some of the phrases that I hear from the pulpit that enforces this. I tried to tell them, but they wouldn't listen. We've tried to tell them, but they won't repent. And and it's just this constant victim story as if all their job consists of is sitting around and reading the Bible and telling all the creators how they're supposed to be. Like the creative people, the motivated people that are out there taking over the world, running the world. They're just supposed to hire the pastor as a consultant to come in and tell them how immoral they are. That seems to be the plan. Um, And there's multiple other instances of this. Anytime I hear a pastor, no matter how wonderful his theology is, ripping into all the other pastors who don't listen to him, I'm like, dude, do you have any idea where where the fight is or who the enemy is? And the answer is always no. And right now I'm ripping them. And I got to the point personally where I I said to myself, I need to figure out who the enemy is, the real enemy. I need to find out who his agents are. I need to figure out not, oh, hey, this is the enemy's playbook. No, I need to know their names. I need to know at least the general area where they live. I need to know where they work. I need to know the institutions and mechanisms, the playbook that they're playing right here in my county. That's a completely different approach, isn't it? And when I, and by the way, I did that. I figured out how the communists in Yakima were working and I drew it on a whiteboard. Again, I was at the Lower Valley Association. I drew it on a whiteboard. Huge success because nobody knew how, how the bad guys worked. And they never, it never even occurred to them that they should know how the bad guys are working. And I'll tell you, it's shocking to me, how, how much of a broken record we have right now. I, I really dislike this um, cowardice. If it's courage to believe you can win, then it must be cowardice to believe you're destined to lose. Because nowhere in the gospel does it say that
2: that's another example of people spiritualizing things because you're like, Oh yes, of course we win. We go to heaven or like, Oh yeah, God's going to come and take over and that's how we're going to win. We're, I'm not taking responsibility by saying that.
1: I don't think it's cowardice to, to believe that you can't win. Or, I, or at least I don't think that it's courage to believe that you can win. Believing that you can win is idealistic. It's, you could say that it's naive. I, I disagree with that, but I do have people who say, oh, you know, that's naive to think that you could change the world. I used to believe that when I was young, but then but then I grew old, and now I know that I can't. Um, and we've had this conversation, but I think that it, it, it's salient, so I'm going to bring it up. I remember being 19, and I remember being in a group of people my age who wanted to take the Valley for Christ, and I remember that we would have prayer meetings and we, that went to into all hours of the night, and we would go up to the Atanam Ridge, and we'd pray over the, the, the upper and lower valleys. And two years later, they were gone. They were all gone, and I was still working at the idea that we'd had. And, you know, time passed. I was thinking of the fact that I didn't start dancing until I was 26. I didn't get involved in the YVSCE until I was, you know, a man already grown. And I remember sitting across from you, and you were telling me, Oh, we can win. and you said the words, we can take the valley for Christ. Oh. You, that was <laughs> triggering, wasn't it? Dan? It's very, very frustrating to have a dream, to lose the dream, and then be told later on, oh yeah, we can we can have that dream. It's very, very frustrating. Hope deferred maketh the heart sick, according to Proverbs. And after you've gotten used to and inured to Despair, it's really tough to hope again. It's really hard and frustrating. And I don't know if it's cowardice. I don't know if that's it. Um, it's, you know, you, you kind of get to a place where you're like, oh, well, you can't hurt me anymore.
2: But I think that hoping again would be courage after you've experienced that.
1: I'm just saying it's a little bit more complex than cowardice and courage. It takes something beyond just courage to give your all and to fail and to get up and try again takes inspiration. I think I think you have to be captured by something bigger than yourself. I think it takes faith. I think it takes faith. So therefore, to land the plane, my indictment against the church is not necessarily cowardice, though it may be mixed in. My indictment against the church is a lack of faith.
0: Something my mom said to me was, which, which stuck with me. She went on and on and on and on about it. Take the valley for Christ. Jesus promised me. Jesus promised me. And then she said, also, I'll be dead when it happens. But she never stopped talking about it, moving towards it. Mm-hmm. And there seems to be this, well, we're going to go pray. And uh, we're going to tear a hole in the floor of heaven and all this <laughs> really, really bad no problem with that. So we uh, did all that, and then I finally got to the point where I had to ask really hard questions, like, what am I doing wrong? And when I articulated this to my mom, she's so hard of hearing. She, the first time she ever heard me say this was like three months ago. Either the Bible isn't true or we're doing it wrong. Either the Bible isn't true or I am doing it wrong. And when people come along and say, well, you just need to do what you're already doing more. Then I would say, I've already done that.
2: That's the definition of insanity, isn't it?
0: Yeah. Though you grind a fool with a pestle his foolishness will not depart from him i had been ground with a pestle it was time to get some foolishness departed from me and I, and and for me to put it that explicitly to say that there is foolishness that i am doing in the name of jesus and i'm expecting to take the valley for christ with this foolishness i mean i, I don't know if that was jesus talking to me hallelujah But I do know that that was an important moment for Jared to take a look at his foolishness and say, some of this foolishness I was taught by sincere mentors and is being reinforced by a lot of fellow Christians, and it isn't getting results.
1: As I think about it, I don't know that my inability to hope was actually laziness, or actually I think it was laziness, what the connection for me was, we were praying over the valley to take the valley for Christ, and we were meeting every Monday night and praying at all hours, but no one ever sat down and said, what would it look like if we did take the valley for Christ, (laughs) and how are you going to do that? What are you going to do Tuesday morning... To take the valley for Christ,
0: I love that question, Dan. How would you know if you did? And everybody looks at me and goes, I don't like you.
1: But more to the point, what are you going to do to take the valley for Christ? Uh, okay, pray it. Prayer is good because what I learned in Africa is you can have everything lined Amen. up. And if you do yep. not pray and tear a hole in yep. the floor of heaven, whatever that then means, yeah. you will not receive success. So, Amen. like, prayer, praying in the spirit, no way to do it. That. Absolutely yes. do it. But God gave us work to do, and we have to do it. We can't just sit around waiting for God to give us the valley. The Israelites couldn't just sit around waiting for God to give them the promised land. When you said, we're going to take the valley for Christ, I rolled my eyes, and you said, and here's what we're going to do. That was interesting to me. What do you mean there's a do? I mean, I'm excited. But, <laughs> yeah. but making a plan is hard. It's a lot of work to make a plan.
0: An active campaigning body and the people who make up the party who normally provide the spur to the recruits first approach to communism to spell it out recruits to communism are usually attracted by the dedicated people who are communists and by the party in action. And this action is appealing because it appears to be concerned with real problems is what Dan was talking about earlier the party operates at a level which is meaningful to the potential recruit. It comes to him as it were. He does not have to seek out the party. Pope Paul is that third, fourth, sixth, sixth, sixth. when he was still Archbishop of Milan, once said that in the past it was necessary only for the church to ring its bell for the people to come to it. Now, however, it is necessary for the church to take the bell to the people. That is something communists long ago learned. The irony of it is that it is they, not the Christians who appear to come. In the words of the song, with the hammer of justice, the bell of freedom and a song about love between my brothers and my sisters all
1: over this land. That was the song that was popular when Douglas Hyde wrote this book by Peter, Paul, and Mary. If I Had a Hammer.
0: I'll tell you something that has really come to me. I'm going to talk about my failures for a minute. It's good for me. My imagination was so broken and my ideas so bankrupt, I actually was so incredibly stuck that I started teaching young people how to dance at Zilla High School. And it went gangbusters the first year, and the second year, it limped along, and the third year, like it basically tanked. And I wound up taking over a dance in Terrace Heights. And it was a little swing dance that this guy was running. It was him and about five girls that were romantically interested in him or his brother. And all his brother did was sit there and take money at the door. And so there was basically three guys and six girls, seven girls. So, and then he would just hit play on a CD player and it would play like some ska music or something really difficult and it was east coast he would just do the basic the pretzel and then an underarm turn and i came in there and i'm like this sucks (laughs) but rather than think like a communist i thought like a homeschooler frankly and a homeschooler is like i'm cool and insecure so i'm not going to get involved in this i'd rather just be lonely pride so I disengaged and then a young woman who would wind up marrying into my family took it over for him she asked for help doing it because she was so busy because she's the kind of person who takes over things from people so I wound up taking it from her and then within like three or four months I was running it Because she got so busy that she didn't have time for it. And that turned into me running dances. And then I had to learn how to lindy. And then I went down in the basement of the church and I said, holy crap. I have an opportunity finally to access a whole bunch of idealistic young people and talk to them about dedication and leadership. So we met in the basement of my church. My cousin Ben was there. Christina was there. Jake, I think Jake Scarlett was there. I'm not sure, but there's a tiny number of people. Jake was there. And I said, we could disciple people through this. And everybody said, I don't think so, but whatever, bro. And that is when we started doing dedication and leadership. Now, you know, The culture has shifted pretty dramatically at that stage. My read on American culture generally, but specifically my read on the American culture of Yakima was that all of the Christians were still comatose. I think that they've woken up. Forgive me for using woke, but the stranglehold, they have awakened. awakened. Thank you the string of hold that the media had on their imagination has slipped away because partly because the art that the media is currently producing is subpar, but some of it is just that the news media specifically has come out of the closet as propaganda machines and they can no longer pretend that the emperor has his clothes on. And this has shifted The appeal and the opportunity is currently here. And I'm delighted. And I want to say this for our audience. I am delighted that so many people are awake right now. And I want to move because the harvest is here. And I am so excited about this one thing. And that is that I am not alone. There are a number of us now. A large number, in my opinion, compared to like
1: <laughs> the 15,000.
0: Yeah, there is a minority of us who think like this dedication, leadership, and cultural reformation. But it is mostly true that I am not alone. Like, I don't feel like I'm this loner that, that doesn't have an opportunity to interface with people. Some of it was just self limiting beliefs, but some of it is I moved into Yakima. And I started networking with people. And then I networked with people who networked with other people. And it just explodes. And that kind of brings me to the end of this chapter. We're going to skip to the end of this chapter. I have had former communists say to me, even though I now see the evil in communism, I still believe that when I joined the Communist Party, it was the biggest and best decision I made in my life. It was the most unselfish thing I ever did. I understand what they mean by this. No one joining the Communist Party could suppose that life was going to be the same as before. The recruits have seen the communists in action. They have come to know them as people and have been attracted to them because they were communists all the time, being 100 percenters in a world of 50 percenters. This image of the communists and the Communist Party may hold back the potential recruit for some time. But if and when he makes the decision to come in, he knows that this is a turning point. He believes that he is a better man for coming in, less than a man if he still remains outside. The absence of any comparable Christian image outside the religious orders clearly creates problems for those who want to see Christians equally dedicated. The answer lies with the Christians. Change. Every time I read this thing, I have to change. One of the things I had to change was treating Christianity as if it's a spiritual thing and not a physical thing. And... It's both physical and spiritual. Like we pray. Like you should be praying like crazy. You should be praying. Also.
1: It's work. Yeah.
0: When, when people think of communists, what do they do? Well, they have protests. Okay. Then what do they do? Well, they have propaganda. Okay.
1: What well, We call that marketing.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, what else do they do? well they they have an agenda to take over a school or a school system or a a a government or a a company or to punish a company you know through boycott or firebombs. i mean i mean we 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 have a different set of ethics, but those ethics require us not to murder people and not to lie about people, not to bear false witness. That's why we win in the long term. That's why we win in the long term. But in the short term, we need to be having protests. We need to be running political campaigns. We need to be doing all these things that I didn't want to do. Because it was not comfortable. It was things that I had never done before. It was things that people were going to judge me for. And bad guys were going to hate me. And good guys were going to feel threatened by me. I was going to get no allies out of this. The short term was only losses.
1: Something that you, Jared, said to me once, and you say it a lot, so I'm not special. What you said was, if you want to be successful, find the people who are successful and do what they're doing. And the communists are successful and were successful at changing the world.
0: And it's true. And... Right now, they're working at changing the Pacific Northwest. And they're going to lose. Yes. Because of us. that are listening to this podcast. I would like you to actually genuflect. What is it? <laughs> what is it?
1: You'd like them to genuflect?
0: <laughs> Stop it, Dan. <laughs> what is it?
1: Do you mean genuinely reflect?
0: No, I want them to genuflect. <laughs> okay. Um, no the allowed. No, it's, ebon- it's ebonics. Um, tell me, Dan. Obomics. Do you... Have any slogans? No. All right. Would you like to come up with one?
1: Style is the art of being yourself on purpose. It's a good one. It's a real mouthful. Yeah. Style is the art of being yourself on purpose.
0: I like the one end abortion
1: now. That one's good. I blame Jared. Oh, you like succinct ones.
0: I prefer ones that mean things to people where they don't have to sit around and think it. Too much.
1: Every communist a leader. Every factory a fortress. <laughs> I love it, Dan.
0: Do we have factories in the U.S. anymore? Yeah, we do. Okay. So why don't we Burlington take those coat over?
1: Factory. <laughs> <laughs>